So at Jack in the Box, man, I mean, uh, it was there that I, I really started saving up money to start selling weed. And so like my, I kept my first two paychecks because my brother, he didn't let me uh, pay rent. So I was able to save up. On my first two paychecks, I went to this guy's, uh, his name was Jose, and I bought two pounds of swag from him for uh, $450 a piece. I spent $900 on that. So, you know, then I started packaging it down. I started selling it off from nickels to dimes to half ounces to full ounces. And I would start flipping that money over and over again until I was able to buy five pounds. And then from five pounds, I capped out at 10. So, I mean, uh, it was it was definitely a crazy time to be alive, man. Welcome back to the Started Somewhere podcast. I'm your host, Ross Alex. Now, today, my friends, we're on episode 29. And I have Quentin Flores joining us all the way from beautiful San Antonio, Texas. Now, Quentin and I go way back, so I'm super excited to have him here on the show. Quinn's a full-time real estate entrepreneur. He wholesales real estate, renovates real estate, and also has some rental property. And he's really grown his presence online where he motivates people and teaches them how to get into their own business. It wasn't always success for Quentin though. In fact, he got started out as a drug dealer, which he's very open about. In this episode, he even shares with us what it was like to have to spend time in prison. But that was all the motivation he needed to change his life. He had to get on the right path. So he found real estate. Sit back, relax, enjoy the show. All right, Quentin, man. Welcome to the show, bro. What's up, man? What's up, Ross? How you doing, man? Brother, living, my man. Waiting to get out of quarantine, man. Not out yet in my area, but... I see you're back to the office, man. You got the team back grinding and everything, man. It's good to see, honestly. Uh, dude, it's always a pleasure, Ross. You know, uh, man, I like I've looked up to you for a long time, bro. Like you were like a very important part of uh, where I started, you know. And you know, I want to edify that real quick before we start, man. It's just been a phenomenal journey. I don't think I would have gotten this far without you, bro. I'm honored to be on this podcast, so thank uh, you, my man, man. Thank you, bro. You make me blush, bro. <laughs> Don't do that to me, Q. Don't do that to me. No, it's amazing, bro. It's incredible to have you here and see your journey over the last couple of years, man. We've been connected. We go way back. You know, it's just uh, you're a true hustler, man. Winners win regardless, brother. You know, we fly in any weather, man. It's a pleasure to have you here and, you know, see what you've been doing and share your story with the people, man. Of course, bro. Of course, man. You know, it, it's been a it's been a crazy journey, but definitely, you know, glory to God. I'm, I'm just glad to be here in the position that I'm in now, you know, having gone through the things that I've gone through to uh, create the business that we have. I'm big chilling here in my office right now. We got about 17 reps in total. There's about half on the floor because we can't operate at full capacity. But uh, I mean, it's been really awesome, man. We're turning deals right now and it's just uh, it's a phenomenal experience. I'm grateful. I'm grateful. I love it, man. I love it. Super inspiring, bro. You got it. You got a pit. Like Wall Street happening, man. Closing deals, <laughs> throwing shit across the room. I love it, bro. I love the company culture too, man, that you have going. And I definitely want to talk about that because it's super awesome to see. But for the listeners out there that aren't familiar with your work, man, they haven't followed you yet, they're out there. I don't know. There's a, not, not too many, man. You're a pretty big social media guy. But uh, tell the people, man, just a little bit about what you're currently doing right now in your business. Yeah. So what's up, everybody? If you don't know me, my name is Quentin Flores. Uh, you know, I'm actually a former student from the Flipping on Fire course. 
I went through that in 2015. I actually, uh, you know, I, I sold weed to buy that course. <laughs> and, you know, that was one of my first steps into really taking my wholesaling business to another level. I mean, up until then, you know, uh, uh, was just kind of just getting by doing one wholesale deal, maybe like once every quarter. Right. But, you know, I'm here now. Right. It's 2020. It's an amazing time. You know, we're going through this whole COVID-19 pandemic, still closing deals. I'm currently closing deals throughout all of Houston from Pasadena. That's one market. I'm also hey, in Sugarland. Careful, Pasadena. <laughs> Sugarland, Pasadena, Liberty. We do deals in uh, the Woodlands, uh, Independence Heights, where we're currently in doing some development in that area. I know it's a lot of uh, stuff going on. So, I mean, I love Houston. Houston's been an awesome market. We're also in the KD market and the Cypress market of Houston, Texas. We do deals in uh, DFW, DFW mainly uh, surrounding the Arlington areas. San Antonio is my primary market. Here we're doing a lot of wholesale deals, a lot of flips, a lot of creative finance. And uh, yeah, I run a full-blown operation. You know, me and my team here, we're about 17 deep at the Infinity Cash Offer headquarters. And uh, yeah, you know, I do everything from my real estate education business all the way down to my actual real estate business where we're closing you know, consistently between 15 and 25 deals a month, you know, and we take on creative stuff, you know, so I, I operate a lot within curative title. And what a lot of people don't know about that is that, um, you know, there's a lot of legalities involved with real estate. The laws are very loose in Texas when it comes to property ownership and homestead exemptions. And we capitalize a lot on, on properties that have just been sitting there vacant where no one can find the owners. So, I mean, uh, we clear title. We have many connections with attorneys that educate us daily on the uh, different types of laws that change within our real estate community. And um, the founder of Ground Zero Surface and the Atmosphere Masterminds, which I host with my students to help them excel in their business, you know? So mm. it's been a great journey. Like I said, man, I come from, from nothing, uh, completely nothing. You know, I was born in Cleveland, Ohio. And my dad, you know, he, he brought us here to San Antonio because he violated his parole. <laughs> he was supposed to stay in Cleveland. And, you know, that's why I was born there. My mom went over there to be with him. My mother and my dad were both from San Antonio. He was doing some drug smuggling stuff. And so, you know, they brought me down here. And uh, yeah, man, I was born here. Well, not born here. I was born in Cleveland, but raised in San Antonio. I love this place. The right. tacos are amazing. I couldn't lose weight if I tried. <laughs> yeah, dude, San Antonio is a vibe, man. San mm -hmm. Antonio. I love San Antonio, bro. I don't know, man. Maybe it's because I'm like the tourist, but I get a kick out of that river walk, bro. I just love the vibes over there, bro. Honestly, I remember like we actually linked up, man, a few years ago back in, in San Antonio. And it was like yeah. a Tuesday. We went yeah. to some restaurant. It was like popping off. I mean, people like partying and drinking in the, like in the streets. I don't even know where we were at. I was like, what? This, this is fucking awesome. Uh, man, San Antonio is a, a great place, man. So, so Q, let me ask you a few things, man. So, so you, you're running a real estate operation, right? Pretty pretty big operation you got some people under your, your 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 belt right working on your team and there's a lot of synergy going but but why real estate right like why did you choose real estate as the vehicle let's go back and talk about that i think that derives from a point of of uh, like from a sense of leadership in a way and uh you know i in anything that i've ever done i've always been able to coordinate things very very well and uh, that, that goes from like, even when I was playing sports while I was in elementary and middle school, you know, I was always the one coordinating different things. And uh, as I grew older, I started realizing that, you know, uh, it, it, I think 
running a company requires a sense of leadership and that sense of leadership is something that's developed over your years you either you either are someone who starts a movement or you're someone who follows the movement right and the thing about that is uh when i was younger and this is my first time thinking about all of this i was in seventh grade eighth grade um i went to uh rudder middle school right and i used to carry around these glow sticks that, that i had with me and i had shoestrings and i had my hair with the little tentacles on my head i looked like a like i was goku or something you know and legit i was the first person to do that at that school and people would see me spinning around the glow sticks and they say oh crap that's cool and after a while i started doing it in front of everybody and we would turn off the lights and i'd throw out a light show my brother taught me how to do this and then everybody at that school started doing their hair the same way. Next thing you know, a bunch of other people were starting to bring in the glow sticks and the uh, shoestrings. Some of the people that I was teaching were going off and learning it off of their own videos. And people were throwing these little mini raves that were like, you know, kid friendly that I would go to. That is when I realized that I had something special that when you that, that's the thing, right? We're so used to balance in our lives. And the moment that something new and creative just disrupts that balance for a second, it creates noise. And it's like throwing a rock in the middle of like a like, you know, a, back, a pool in your backyard. Right. It, it creates that ripple effect. It creates that ripple effect. And that's one of the things that I think that that dawned upon me that I knew that if I got into the real estate space, that I would be successful in it because I already had acquired a, a sense of leadership. Mm -hmm. The first business venture that I was ever in. You know, this was like early 2012, late 2013, I joined a company called Amway and Amway taught me a lot about multi-level marketing. So I was doing, uh, you know, these sales with these health products that I knew really nothing about, but I knew that the money wasn't in selling the products, the money wasn't building the team. So I had a mentor at the time, his name was Dan and Dan taught me a lot about business. He taught me a lot about mindset. He had me read a bunch of books. And uh, when, when I when I think back to that, during that time, I was in and out of jail, you know, so like, I was already about to get sentenced to a year in prison. And before all that had happened, um, you know, I, I was creating my business and I was building like what I was trying to do within the Amway organization, because I was already a felon. When I was 17, I got caught on a school. Um, I, I fell asleep on, on, on the playground. I, I didn't have anywhere else to go, man. I was legit like, Everybody turned their back on me at this point in my life, but I was toxic to anybody who was trying to mess with me at the time, man. So I, I didn't blame them for it, but I fell asleep on this playground. I had a pair of brass knuckles in my pocket and a bunch of weed. It's funny because when I got arrested, they dropped the weed and they stuck me with the brass knuckles and then I got put on uh, probation, right? It wasn't probation, it was deferred. And then I, I couldn't pass a drug test to save my life. And so I ended up going to jail for the first time for, uh, you know, having a weapon on me, which was would, which would become that felony that I got. So by the time I was 17, I was already a felon over the stupidest, smallest thing, right? That thing was a belt buckle. Why they didn't drop that and just stiff me with the weed, I have no idea. So it is what it is. You know, at that point, it was really hard for me to find a job, you know? So I went from leadership position to leadership position. But after being successful in the MLM industry and even in the fast food industry and even the weed selling industry, even being successful in jail, like I know that doesn't sound crazy, but I was successful. I was in there. <laughs> I was reading. I was leading. I was implementing people. We were doing book clubs, book study clubs, everything, you know. I never really talk about that time I spent in there. But, you know, for that one year, it changed my life, man. When I got out, I knew that this is what I wanted to do. And I just went all in on this, man. I went all in on this. Once I found real estate, it was like, you know, I always knew about real estate from like 2012 all the way to 2015 but I wasn't ever doing it. 
I had friends that were in multi-level marketing that owned real estate businesses that were building that as a side hobby. So, uh, you know, one day I sit down with one of my mentors, it's this guy named Chris, super cool dude. Um, you know, I don't know if he's still doing real estate actively, but at the time he was heavily and he was telling me like, yeah, man, you could totally get into real estate. Like this would be something that would be super awesome for you to do. And I met Chris through my, my, you know, my then really good friend, Garrett and Garrett tried to get me into real estate. It's just that he was my age. So it was hard for me to listen to him. You know what I mean? <laughs> Cause we would go to parties together, you know? So for me, it was just like, why am I going to try to learn from somebody who I'm going to parties with? I should have listened to him, right? I should have. But because of that, that struck my learning curve. After it was about 2014 going to 2015, I went full on into real estate, started educating myself, started learning. And it was, uh, you know, June of 2015, I purchased Flipping on Fire. And that pushed my business to the next level. I realized that if I wanted to become successful, it started with creating a, a network of people that, that could trust me with their business. And private money, you know, I, I know you were talking about in that thing, how to raise private money to flip. I use private money for everything now. And I use that program because it taught me how to find private money. Mm. So, I mean, uh, this business, I love it because it's based around relationships and your leadership skills and capabilities. If you can combine both of those things, you can do so much in this business. Everybody here in this office, man, like I, I lead them, but I'm, I'm also like very terrible at holding myself accountable. So the larger that my team is, the better it is for them to hold me accountable because I feel accountable to them to show up. If I don't show up, they don't show up. You know what I mean? Mm. And some people would call that being in the people management business. I don't really care. This is what I want to do. This is what I love to do. I come here every single day. I don't have any plans to step away from this anytime soon. So, I mean, uh, you know, having come, having come from where I came from to being where I'm at right now has been like a phenomenal journey of every single relationship that I've ever tried to captivate within this area or this expertise of this real estate business and, and, and really just nurturing those relationships. You know, the fact that you and I have been talking for over five years is a huge testimony to that, that I care about my relationships. So, I mean, it's super important to me, you know, to, to be on this right now as an opportunity and to uh, have my real estate and business right now we're, where we're at, right, financially. We're still learning, bro. Like, we definitely don't have it all figured out. But I know I'm doing a little bit better than, uh, than your guy who's just starting out. <laughs> so, I mean, we're at a point right now where we're developing and we're growing. And I'm just super excited, man. I'm super excited for what the future holds. I love it, bro. Super powerful stuff, man. I want to take it back and just touch on a few things that you mentioned. So you okay. said at the age of 17, you got caught sleeping on a park bench. You had a weapon, brass knuckles. Interesting choice. Uh, I'm, I want to ask you about that. Of course. <laughs> and you had some, some weed on you, right? Yeah. I mean, nowadays, weed's not too big of a deal most places. But definitely back then, I mean criminal charges absolutely right for sure man for what sure. what was going through your head at the time like where were you at mentally to be in that position like what <laughs> got you there right like yeah yeah you know you're, you're you you talk from going from you know twirling glow sticks around and being an influencer in school to ending up on a park bench with a weapon weed and a felony charge that's right? crazy. What did that gap look like, right? Yeah, of course, of course. You know, um, uh, I mean, bro, there was like a huge point in my life. I felt like I was going through like a midlife crisis at the time. This is probably the first time I was going through it. 
where, uh, you know, I just felt like I wasn't going to be successful in anything. At the time, I was going to this school called Thomas Jefferson High School, which is here in San Antonio. It's in the hood, you know, so, uh, you know, I, I just got jumped. I remember like, because uh, when, when I went to that middle school I was telling you about, that was in a better part of San Antonio. And then, you know, I ended up having to move with my mom. My mom moved to an entirely different area. She bought her first house. And then I went to Jeff and Jeff was super hood, bro. I'm talking like everything in that place had like graffiti all over the walls that they couldn't cover up. Uh, there was gang violence. There was a bunch of cribs, Latin Kings, bloods, everything, man. And you know, when I, when I got there, I was just in full survival mode, man, because I felt like being in that position, if I wanted to make it out of there, I literally either had to be neutral, I had to choose a side, right? So my mom's dude at the time was selling pot. And I used to go into the, he had like a, this giant bowl that he would, everybody would pick out of the smoke, me and my entire family. And so I would take about like a giant handful of that and I'd package it up into little packages and I put it in my sock because I want to go to school and I try to sell everything that I had. So, you know, uh, going to that environment and being in that school taught me a lot, right, about survival. And uh, I got jumped by uh, the Bloods for selling weed to both Bloods and, and, and the Kings. And the Kings came in and jumped me. Uh, not, not jumped me, I'm sorry. The Bloods came in and jumped me. The Kings came in and saved me. My business partner was in that group of people. They were called LCK, Lincoln Court Kings. And my business partner was with that group of people that saved me, bro. Like legit, they were going to fucking kill me, man. I got my ass beat over wow. some weed, over some weed. I went home that day. You know, I told my mom I didn't want to be in that predicament anymore. My brother offered me, uh, uh, you know, a place to stay. So I moved in with my brother. And then I got reunited with everybody that I went to those good schools with in high school at the end of my high school like period of time which was like my junior year i never made it past freshman you know so when i say this i was going through my third year of being a freshman at this new high school and so like uh, that, that same mentality of survivalness just it, it was still with me even being at this better environment in school and so it was like the craziest situation for me man but i was dating this girl at the time she fell in love with me i fell in love with her and uh you know she she ran away with me bro like she legit like ran away from her home to be with me and we were going all over San Antonio trying to figure out where the hell we could stay because my brother didn't want to harbor or run away. Her mom was calling all of these cops. So I finally found a place for her to stay, but I could not stay with her because it was a friend of hers, like parents' house. Right next to that place is down the street from my office, bro. I like I, I pass by that school all the time that I got arrested at. It's literally right here off of Hillcrest and Babcock. And uh, the San Antonio, if you're local, then you know what I'm talking about. But there's this little school that's right there behind these ghetto ass apartments. That my girl was staying in those apartments i chose to stay at that playground because i wanted to go and see her in the morning and i had a pair of brass knucks on me in case mm. someone tried to wake me up or jack me for whatever i had i had like 30 dollars of weed on me it was just some regular swag and uh that's how i ended up there bro you know my girl and i we ran away i ended up getting kicked out of school she wanted to still be with me she put school on hold to come and stay with me and that's how i ended up there wow Crazy man. situation man her name was paulina ruiz i'll never forget her and, uh, you know, as sad as it is, you know, uh, that relationship obviously didn't work out and it really set me back in my life. But I truly believe that. And this is something that Tony Robbins says, man, if you're going to be thankful for all the good things that you have going on in your life, you got to be thankful for all the bad shit that happened too. because without the bad shit, you wouldn't realize how blessed you were or what the exact opposites of those things feel like. You know, I mean, so those things led up to the way that I treat my wife now, the way that I worship my family, the way that I worship my Lord and the way that I am with my business and the people that I choose to lead here. So, I mean, uh, that was how I got there. 
And then after that, you know, immediately I, I went to jail because I was on probation when all of that happened. So, wow, man, it sounds like you had to grow up really fast. Uh, <laughs> yeah. you know. And, you know, it's it, it's it's uh, I guess jail was a wake up call for you that you had to uh, change things around like. You spent the, did you spend the full year in jail? Or did you get out for early release? At or? that time, I spent 30 days in, in jail, and I wasn't in prison. That was in just regular jail. Like, okay. Uh, you go down to the precinct, right? That's like the magistrate. Uh, but I was in there for about a month, and in that time, I met some people that were all doing crazy stuff, man. I remember when I got put in there, everybody was doing heroin. Most of those people were homeless, just looking for a place to sleep and a decent meal. So they were open to doing any crime possible so that they could stay there. You know what I mean? Because obviously they didn't have any opportunity outside of that. So, I mean, one of the guys that I that I was bunking with was a total heroin addict. He used to tell me he can't wait till he can get out so he can blast. I never even heard what blasting was, but apparently blasting is legit when you like into the air after you shoot up. Makes no sense to me, right? So in my head, I just knew that once I got out, I knew exactly what I needed to do. And I knew that I had the product to be able to do it because I already built up the brand that I could move weight. And so, like, uh, by the time I got out, I was 18 years old. I got a job at Jack in the Box. I started working at Jack in the Box for, like, you know, six months. It's probably the only job I ever actually had that I kept up with, right? I've had, like, small jobs here or there, but I never lasted more than a few weeks. Wow, but I, 50 I been, bucks a pound, but it must have been some shit. It was shit. It was <laughs> shit. But that's what was moving at the time, you know? Everybody yeah. was smoking that. The, the dro, like, the, the hydroponic wave had not gone through texas and if you found hydroponic weed you were paying 80 dollars for like an eighth you know right right so you know I'm not, I'm not here to teach all about the terminology of weed of course but <laughs> you know uh, a couple of months with a couple of years would go by i sustained that business by the time i was 19 i graduated from selling just regular weed to then pushing hydroponic bud which is more expensive you know though those those prices on that back in the day you were looking at 4800 dollars a pound People would buy it in California for twelve hundred to seventeen hundred. The moment that it crossed the border in Texas, it was worth almost four times what it was. So I mean, um, you know, from that point on, I was I would then begin pushing massive amounts of weight from that type of business model. I had a team, just like I have now. You know, I had a, a group of runners. We called them runners. They'd go out and they'd do all of the the business for me. I had a lot of really good friends that that uh, that would help me out if I couldn't find it. And eventually, man, there, there was another drought again, another drought again. And this time it was a crazy situation, man, because I just got robbed. A guy that I had trusted, you know, with like the key to my apartment came in and stole like five pounds of hydro from me, which was like, you know, four, four thousand a pound. You know, so I was out like 20 grand. I had ten thousand dollars left. Ended up meeting this dude named Richard. Good friend of mine today. He still owns he, he's doing the business legally now. He owns a dispensary called Grass Cannabis. But he and I, we used to push a lot of weight back in the day. Um, and that dispensary is out in Portland, Oregon. So he does this thing like 100% with legit with my boy, Joey. And, uh, you know, they have like a full blown operation. Now that's one of my dreams is to get back to that in a legal way in some type of way. Cause I truly believe that cannabis has uh, massive healing powers for anybody who chooses to consume that type of product, whether it's CBD or the THC or whatever, it's known to heal. Right. So I don't think that what I was doing was was too terrible. I mean, like I was pushing cocaine or like a hardcore drug lord or anything. But when I met Richard, I was ready to get robbed again because uh, he messaged me because I was trying to holler at this chick that I found out I found in a, a, a what was it? It was like a smoke shop where you go and buy bongs. There was this girl that I knew in high school. I ran into her. I thought she was hot. 
you know, I tried to tell her I'd give her some pot real quick, try to get her number. She gave, I, I, she took my number. She liked the weed that I gave her and told her friend Richard about me. Crazy situation, man. <laughs> so Richard calls me and he's like, hey, hey, what's up, man? And he sounds like a total white guy. You know what I mean? Like not trying to be racial or anything, but he sounded like a white guy. I said, hey, man. So my friend Gina told me about this, gave me some of this weed. Hey, man, it's really good. I got some stuff for you, bro, if you're still trying to buy, but we, we do business in large quantities. Dude had no idea who I was. I'm sure he didn't really know exactly what he was doing either. But um, at the time, I couldn't find anything. I took a leap on faith because he told me that he can get me these pounds for $2,000 when the price at the time was $4,000 a piece. That's half price, my guy. I just got robbed for four that I bought at $4,000 a piece. I was already like on my last 10 racks. So I get my backpack, I roll over there in my truck and I tell the guy, you know, like I'm telling myself, I'm sorry, I'm telling myself, I'm like, dude, the guy's all the way upstairs on the fourth floor, right? I'm like, dude, there ain't no way. If I go up there and I and I and I don't come back down with what I came here to get, that's it. I'm done with this game. I'm done. I'm 20 years old at this time. You know, and I, I go all the way up there, I go to the top, I knock on the door, the dude opens, it's literally a dot on the forehead Indian guy named Richard talking to me like a dude bro <laughs> like hey what's up man hey yeah we talking on the phone bro come on in right literally how we sound but he's like a dot on the forehead indian type of guy not trying to be racist i'm just trying to this is a real story this has actually happened you know so <laughs> i go into the house and there's boxes in this apartment all over the place right it's like these ones over here are three thousand those ones over there are 2100 these ones over here are 15 because you know they got a little bit of seeds in them but if we want to buy them you can buy them I'm like, okay, you know, in my head, I was like, oh my God, no way. I give this guy my 10 racks and I and I pick out five of the ones for 1500, you know, and then I picked out one good one. I went and I sold all of those for 4,000 each and I came back and I doubled up again, you know, and that would lead into a huge operation that I was a part of for about two years before it died out when I was 22, 23, when I got busted in Austin on a, I was I was transporting some stuff from Dallas to San Antonio. No, you reach Austin first. We had a hotel in Austin that I would check in and I would just chill in a hotel for a minute before I would get the call to meet up in Waco, which is on which is right after Dallas. Right. Which is I'm sorry, which is before Dallas. Before you get into Dallas, Waco is right there. So it was it was a crazy it was a crazy time man. it was a crazy time. You know, I, I went to Vegas, you know, with with most of the money. I had a girlfriend that had two kids at the time. Uh, you know, I would buy those kids everything. I bought that girlfriend everything. And it was just a huge learning lesson. I realized that my brain was not capable of managing that amount of money at that time, you know? And then coming back and forth from California to Texas, that was a journey in its own as well. You know, so uh, it, it was fun, bro. It was fun. You know, at the, at the end of the day, it all died out. It all boiled down to me having to spend a year in prison. In prison, I learned a lot about real estate. I learned a lot about the rich dad, poor dad programs. I learned a lot about Darren Hardy's The Compound Effect. I was reading Tony Robbins books, uh, Napoleon Hill books, They Can Grow Rich. I spent a lot of time reading these books. I read them over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Most people, when they get to this level, bro, they continuously read. I really felt like I got everything I needed from just those books, you know? And so like, by the time I got out, I knew that I wanted more. And so, I mean, I, I probably was on parole for about three years uh, before I got out in 2016. 2016. I want to I want to talk about that queue real quick. How did did you did you get busted, pulled over? Like what what did that what did that look like when you got caught to even get sentenced to prison time? Bro, okay, so this is how it happened. 
I um there was this thing that happened on the news. It was nationwide. There was this kid that was facing life in prison for selling pot brownies. Do you remember that? I do remember that. It was like I, I remember thing. that story. People were telling him yeah. to like, you know, people were like creating a GoFundMe for him. GoFundMe just kicked off. This is probably like one of GoFundMe's biggest like, you know, yes. publicity stunts, right? So like um that guy, that kid I sold that kid the oil that he needed to make those brownies. Mm. He was in Austin. <laughs> mm. Wow. Anyways, man, uh, it was a killing too. Cause I mean, I, I, to make that oil, bro, you have to have like uh, some butane and you have to have this cool little glass pipe. that looks like this giant penis and you have to stuff a shit ton of weed in it. Right. And there's this little thing at the end and you put the butane in it and you, and right. you push the butane through it and it extracts the THC. Right. And then you'd have to have like this compressor type of thing. It's like this thing that sucks the air out, that sucks out all the butane from the, the BHO. It's called butane hash oil. So, uh, you know, I ended up selling this dude uh, like three ounces of it for like 2000 a piece. <laughs> wow. It cost me like $700 to make that. I didn't know he was going to go and make brownies with it and then tell the whole fucking world at his school that he bought these like, you know, that he brought these weed brownies and get caught with all of it. That kid ratted me out in that hotel that I was staying at. We didn't change rooms that night. So I'm chilling in this hotel room, right? I remember grabbing like 15K, bro, and I put it underneath the stove. It was it was like somewhere between 10 to 20,000. I never get the number right, bro. It was a long time ago. And I put the, the number in between the, uh, I, mean, I put the, the money in underneath the stove. And then out of nowhere, I get a knock on the door, you know, and I'm just expecting someone. The door is already open. Someone was supposed to come in. You know, I heard a doot, 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 doot. I'll never forget that, right? I knock like that all the time now. If I ever go to your house, I'm going to knock like that because that comes from that. And so the next thing you know, a bunch of people come in, bro, a bunch of narcotics cops, a guy that had been following me. They hold me to the ground. They take all the pot that's in the area. We only had eight pounds in there. Thank God, bro. But that was still over the amount where it would be then a felon, you know? And uh, they also took all of the bags that I had, the containers that would make the smell go away. I had a bunch of those, you know, those, the, the, they like suck the air out so mm -hmm. you can't smell anything. I had a crap ton of those. They took the money counter that my buddy Richard bought. They took everything, bro. And then, uh, you know, I was so like, it sucked because I had to go to jail. I had to get processed. And then by the time I got out, you know, it was like, um, it was it was literally two days later it took me forever because at first they were going to process me in austin and then they transported me to san antonio and i had to get processed twice so about two to three days later i finally get out i i uh i, I legit call a taxi you know because i didn't have the car i left the car that i was driving in austin <laughs> i told them I, I didn't have a vehicle i didn't want them to like pinpoint me in anything with what money i had left i took a cab to uh to austin i went into that hotel room thinking that somebody was waiting for someone else to come in there bro and uh, I went underneath the stove and I pulled out that last bit of money that I had and I stuffed it in my pants and I ran out of that motherfucker, bro. <laughs> and, I, and I took the cab straight back to San Antonio, man. Wow. I used that money to invest into real estate and to invest in my education. You know, that money helped me out with getting an attorney, with decreasing my sentence. I was uh, legit arrested on two accounts of trafficking marijuana, distribution of marijuana, and the third one was the second felony that I would get, which was a modified deadly weapon. I had a shotgun that I made. I, I think I still have a photo of the shotgun too. <laughs> um, you made a shotgun. Made a shotgun. <laughs> it, okay, so I didn't know that it was fully illegal to saw the tip off. 
but I, I made I made it so that I could like I could put this cartridge in the bottom and it would be full auto, so I could just go. And it would hold terrifying. like fuck still. <laughs> that's fucking yeah. terrifying, man. It had this thing at the tip of it, bro, that was like um, I forgot what you call it, but it would suppress the shot so that the the barrel wouldn't overheat. Mm. And bro, like I had incendiary rounds, I had all of these different rounds, I had beanbag rounds, salt rounds. Those ones hurt, bro. Salt rounds hurt. And you know, it was it was awesome, bro. They took that shotgun from me. Wow. <laughs> they they slapped me with the 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 marijuana trafficking and the shotgun. And then that that was that that would be it. You know, I got my sentence reduced because they entered the hotel room without a warrant. Thank God, and I had to do a year. I was facing five. Wow. So I mean, uh, That's scary luckily stuff, I, I spent five thousand on a really awesome attorney. He represented me. Um, we got the sentence reduced. I went into the south side of San Antonio. It's like on the south south. It's called Dominguez, and I spent about a year there. And I got out like in nine to ten months. But I got out, bro. I was already ready, bro. Like. I knew I was going to be on probation for three years. I was ready to handle that, you know, from 2014 to the beginning of 2016, I was on probation. So, I mean, uh, it wasn't like probation. It was full-blown parole. I had to get drug tested like every week, man. It was crazy. But during that time, I was building my real estate business. I legit bought Flipping on Fire the moment that I got out, bro, and I connected with you. <laughs> I didn't even know that, man. Like, this is... This is that uh, one of the reasons why I love doing the show, you know, to really grasp the full story. Bro, uh, I've never even told this story. I've been on so many podcasts. No one's ever really talked to me about how it all happened. So this is like my first time deep diving into it. I've been on probably eight different podcasts going over this. And uh, this is the realest I think I've ever gotten with this, man. Yeah, <laughs> no, I appreciate the, the, the authenticity, bro. I, I have a follow-up question for you. If you didn't end up getting that 15k right let's just say the officers confiscated it somehow what would you have done oh bro man uh no one was gonna call me because everybody knew that i got popped dude like once you get popped in the business that's it everybody ceased communication with you totally i tried calling every single person that i could to see because uh, dude 15k wasn't enough bro for what i needed it wasn't enough there was only one guy that had no idea that it got arrested that was still willing to sell me pot and I had to use, I, I went right back into the business again, bro. Cause that's all I knew. I didn't have a job. Right. I could, I had to go get a job. It wasn't going to, it was going to take away from what I could make selling weed, you know? So, I mean, my wife, bro, she held it down for me like crazy, man. She was working full time. She was a tattoo artist. She was a uh, tattooing and doing piercings, bro. So she was bringing in like a thousand a week from that, bro. And she would legit give me her whole paychecks, dude, so that I could go and invest in more pot. You know, I love my woman, man. She really took care of me during this time. You know, I, I feel like I've talked about this story a lot in other podcasts, and I've never given my wife the credit that she deserves for the, that time period because at that point, bro, no one believed in me. My family, it was just a bunch of you told me so's. You know, everybody turned their back on me at this point in my life, man. And, you know, uh, I remember balling up in my girl's like chess and crying my ass off because I just felt like such a failure that I, I I told her I was like I don't know what the hell I'm going to do baby like I'm supposed to be the protector here I'm supposed to be the one to support you and I remember her telling me like I don't care how much money you make or where you are where you are or where you're at I'm always gonna love you I'm always gonna be here for you no matter where that may be and bro when she told me that I felt like something awakened in me you know and I realized that all my life leading up to that moment, I was chasing money. 
I was chasing money. I was just wanting to make so much of it, right? That, that's all I wanted. And I didn't realize how important my wife was at the time. And bro, like that was what was the most important thing to me. Having my wife there, that was my purpose. There's this thing that I've, that I've uh, recently gone through in this mastermind called pull or push, right? And uh, money pushes you to do things. But when you're pulled to do something, that's defined by purpose. That's defined by purpose. And when you have someone that loves you and believes in you, even if it could be your dog, <laughs> of course, you may not be able to fully grasp that dog's emotion, right? But you can feel it when somebody just wants the best for you, you know? And I realized that that was the missing piece to this puzzle the entire time. You know, uh, I, I decided that I was going to use this money not to buy another pound. I was going to cut myself off and just deal small and uh, stay under the radar just enough so that I could pay for my probation fees, my court fees, my attorney fees. And uh, over the next three years of that time, you know, I got out of, of uh, probation late 2016 going into 2017 parole. I'm sorry. And uh, that that changed my life, man. That changed my life. At that point, I was already fully into the real estate business. People were already asking me to be on podcasts. People wanted me to speak on stages, talking about all this stuff. And you know, like this is probably like again, this is my first time really going into deep detail about it. And I'm honored that it's with you, bro, because uh, you know, I've been I've been rocking with you for a minute. But flipping on fire literally changed my life, bro. Like I never really expressed that to you, but that changed my life. That changed everything that I that I that I was gonna do. And that was just one piece to this giant puzzle of people that I would then meet that I would be involved in and that I would be involved with and then having to, you know, pay back previous debts because obviously all of that pot money was not mine. And then, you know, using real estate as a funnel to pay off my court costs, my, you know, my, my parole fees and to get off of probation the way that I did, like on a silver platter, no drug test failed, no nothing. I'm 100% clean. I'm 100% free of the criminal justice system. It's been four years almost since that since that time you know and uh i truly think that it's the success that i've had is an accumulation of the people that i've met i call myself a man of many mentors my wife being a mentor you being a mentor david fisher with lifestyles was one of my mentors you know um the lessons that i've had in life the people that i didn't want to be like you know and so many people like we grow up this way right so many people like they like especially that are in better positions they grow up having a dad that can lead them where they want, where they need to go, right? Or a mother that wants the best things for them, right? But my mom was still growing up when she had me. My dad was a meth addict. I didn't have any of that. I grew up around people that I didn't want to be like. And when I attached that purpose that I always wanted, my wife and her being happy and our son, you know how it is to have a kid now, right? It's beautiful. You see the world in a totally different way. I walk in so much more purpose now with what God has given me. And I thank him for every single bad thing that happened to me, because without those things, I don't think I'd be here right now with all of these amazing people that I trust, that I do business with, that I work with, that 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 help me create what Infinity Cash Offer is, what Wholesaling Houses Ground Zero is, and what the entire brand is. Like every single person that I meet serves a purpose. It's every single person that you meet, that if you're watching this, they serve a purpose. But it's up to you to see what that purpose is, because when you walk in that light, no flame in front of you will ever touch you because you walk with faith. Mm. Powerful stuff, brother. I love it, man. Tons of value. You know, it from 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 hearing your story, it sounds like if you didn't get locked up, <laughs> you would have probably spiraled out of control, right? It probably would have been way worse. I mean, we all know what comes with the drug game and 
You know, it's not sustainable long term, right? It's not. It's definitely not. <laughs> and it's very, it, it's relatable for a lot of people that are not necessarily in that same type of um, business. But some people have their life just spiraling out of control, right? They they don't know what to do. They're freaking out. They're on the path to nowhere. What advice would you give that person, maybe someone listening, to grab their life and just drastically make a change. I, I like I said, man. Like one of the things that this is the thing, and I, I I feel like a lot of people that are in these situations just don't understand how rowdy God has them. You know what I mean? And for the longest time, I was like feeling like I was the one with the the hands on the wheel, right? Like that I was the one that was in control of my life. And uh, bro, like uh, for a lot of people, they just don't get the picture right. That's the thing; they don't get the picture right. So, bro, uh, you know, again, like this would be like a lot of different things that would end up happening to me. And this is something that happened to me that I'm going to share with you guys. This is the best advice I can give you because you have to get the picture right. So in uh, the end of 2017, I had a huge falling out. I think I messaged you, Ross, because I was just depressed as hell and I needed someone to talk to. And uh, I had a huge falling out. I got let go from a company. I messaged you then. And then a couple of months later, I, I, I lost my wife, you know, her and my son. You know, she took both. They, she, she took my son. They both left. I was just toxic. I was making a lot of money in the real estate business. I wasn't me. I wasn't who I should have been because I never even made that amount of money selling pot that I was making in real estate. <laughs> and uh, I, I go to this church, right? And I'm looking for answers. At this time, I didn't believe in God. I kind of did, but not fully. I wasn't fully acquainted with faith yet, right? I go to church. It's called City Church off Bandera. I'll never forget it. The pastor, um, I forgot his name. I think it's Riley. Um, he, he gets on stage and he starts talking I never listen normally when, when a guy's on the stage in church, you know, for me, I just feel like it was at the time super manipulative. Like all these people here, they're telling us to donate money and all this crazy stuff. I didn't understand the concept yet. And so he talks, he talks about this story. He goes up and he talks about, it. this is a sermon that he's, he's talking about this story about this man who just lost everything and he's frustrated. He can't afford his child support. His girlfriend, his ex-girlfriend is nagging him. He just lost his job and he's sitting there, right? And he has a newspaper in front of him. He has a newspaper in front of him that he's reading through and he gets so angry. His kids are on the floor right next to him. His, his like five-year-old daughter, right? Is just sitting there on the floor playing with Legos, putting things together. So in a, like a, a sudden frustration to just like hit him in a wave, he rips the entire thing up and he throws it on the floor and he walks into the other room. This guy was frustrated, man. He said, how the hell am I going to do this? How am I going to get this right? And that newspaper, he rips it up in like a bunch of pieces and he throws it on the floor. He walks to the other room. He calms down. He leaves his kid in the living room playing. You know, a couple of minutes later, he's like, you know, all right, I'm good. I'm going to go back. And so he goes back to the table. He's about to come and pick up the mess. It was 10 minutes after that. His daughter put that newspaper back together, bro. He put that newspaper, but she put that newspaper back together. He picks up his daughter, bro, and he's like, baby girl, how the hell did you do this? This is impossible. Look at all many pieces that were there. There's no way that you, being five years old, could have put this newspaper together. And she said, Papa, it's the man on the other side. That's how I was able to put the picture together. And lo and behold, he flips the glued paper to, like, to the other side, and boom, it's a picture of Jesus Christ, bro. And uh, for me, for me, it wasn't Jesus yet because I wasn't fully, uh, you know, but what I got from that sermon, what I got from that sermon was that uh, 
I had been living my life trying to create a picture that wasn't right for me. And I had to rip up this image of who I was trying to be to become who I've always wanted to be. But it started with me getting the picture right. And for me, that picture was my wife and my son and a big house and a white picket fence and uh, and a place to go and, and a, a healthy, like a healthy environment where we were all happy and we were together. And that was the picture that I was missing, bro. When I'll never forget that day. I'll never forget that sermon. That changed my life, bro. Mm. And uh, I, I, that same day, I baptized myself a Christian. I accepted the Lord into my life. And then I would go on to uh, win my family back about four or five months later. And then uh, the end of 2017, going into 2018, we opened up our first office. We've been in the office about two years. We reincorporated our business. I put everything that I had into building this brand in our company. We own a multi-million dollar organization here in San Antonio that's clearing house on real estate deals. And it all happens with understanding these patterns of life, man. So my advice for you, if you're watching this and you're, and you're getting value from this, you need to destroy the person who you used to be and you need to rip that thing into pieces and you need to get your picture right. Because we all have something that we want, right? We all have a pull. We all have a purpose. When we're pulled to do something, we walk in a different light. We walk in faith, right? So for you to become who you've always wanted to be, you got to let go of who you always, like who you once used to be. That person's always going to be there, but you can't let that person that you once were define who you're always going to be. None of us really changes over time. We just become more fully who we always were, but that could be seen in a positive light. And if you don't understand what that picture is, you're only going to hold yourself back. So get the picture right. Boom. And I guarantee you're going to be successful. That's a gold nugget right there, brother. I might need to smash that gong that you got <laughs> at the office for that one, man. Q, I want to touch on um, a little bit about your real estate business. Of course. Here. Uh, one thing that anybody that follows you on social media will quickly see is that you have a great company culture, right? Like you're really good at having culture and a team and people showing up to work. And for me personally, I've never been good at that stuff. Like I'm just not good <laughs> at building a team. I'm not good at hiring. I'm even worse at firing. And <laughs> yes. I've always been the guy that works on the go. Like I work out of Star Starbucks, like, you know, but I've always admired people like yourself that, you know, can build a team and have an HQ and everything like that. So let's talk about building company culture, hiring people, building out the organization. Like, what does that look like for you? Like, how did you do that? Right? How did you go from one guy going around buying houses, wholesaling deals <laughs> to actually growing to, you know, almost 20 people on your team? Bro, I'll tell you, it is a challenge. My my team changes every other month. Uh, not every month, I'll say every other year. You know, uh, my team right now is, we have four core members that have been with me since we opened up our office in 2018. And this is the thing, man, the best person who, this is something that a mentor of mine told me, this guy named Preston. He says, the best person who starts the business isn't the same person who can keep it going. That was what I, I, I came into this entire thing going into, right? And this is the thing, man. When it comes to company culture, that is the thing. If you don't have an environment where people can come in and feel like they can learn and grow with your company, right? You have an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur is somebody who wants to build a legacy for themselves. 
And the sad part about it is an entrepreneur will, will, will most of the time step on people to get to where they're trying to get because they have this alpha personality that they just want to be above anybody else. They want to grow their business to millions of dollars. They don't want to grow with within an, a company. They want to grow outside of the company, right? So that's what you call an entrepreneur. In my business, I have four people that are called intrapreneurs. These are people that want to be successful within the branch of Infinity Cash Offer. And guys, those are not people that I found just like out of the blue. Like these are people that had tested, that have been tested throughout the dead seasons of this company, that have been tested throughout leadership within this company with the education that they've learned and have chose to still stay around. Right. So those are your entrepreneurs. Those are the people that are actually going to be part of your journey long term. I do have a bunch of sales reps here. They are great. Do I know if they're going to be here long term? That is often that that's less often than it probably should be. But there's three goals of any successful business when it comes to creating culture. Right. Number one, this is called alignment. Alignment is when every single soldier from your left of your shoulder to your right of your shoulder is in perfect formation and they know exactly what they need to do and everybody is on the same page. The Spartans, this goes back thousands of years ago, had created a formation called the phalanx and the phalanx was an impenetrable force that has had that, that center core was built on strength. Each Spartan to the left was strong as each Spartan to the right. Together, they moved as one unit that was impenetrable. Anybody that met the phalanx probably ended up dying a horrible death, right? So alignment is the most important thing in a company. This is when everybody is on the same page. Everybody knows their roles. Everybody knows their responsibilities. And everybody knows exactly where they need to be. And they communicate, okay? Number two, simplicity. Is your business, if you're, re if you're, if you're watching this, reading this, whatever you're doing right now, is your business so simple that anybody, even someone who is 10 years old can come in and make money. If your business is not simple and people can't just automatically come in and win, of course it's gonna require some work. You can't make it that easy. But if, if your business systems aren't simple, people are going to move beyond it. Your brain does two things. Number one, it keeps you alive. And number two, it goes past shit that's complicated. Let's be real. <laughs> if it's complicated, right, then, it, then it's not going to be for you. If your business is so easy that it can keep someone alive and they can be, they can be who, they, who they are and have fun within the organization at the same time and still make money, that is when you have simplicity, right? This is the third thing. The third thing is the most important thing. The third thing is when innovation and optimization, which are two entirely different things, fuse and become one entity. This is called foresight. Foresight in a business is understanding exactly what's going to happen before it happens. I depict this story all the time. I talk about Kill Bill, right? Have you ever seen the second Kill Bill movie? Pai Mei was the grandmaster in Kill Bill 2, right? He's training Uma Thurman, who is the main antagonist in this entire story. He's telling Uma to put her hand against this piece of wood by her tips of her fingers and then punch it and then punch it from the tip of her fingers. You don't get a chance to put that much force behind your hand. If I were to cock my hand back and punch the piece of wood, there's a likely chance over the repetitions that I were to do that without feeling pain that I would break through the wood, right? And Paima says, it doesn't make any sense. Like she said, she tells, she, Uma Thurman tells Paima, this doesn't make any sense. Why the hell would I do this? And Paima says, what if your enemy was six inches in front of you? What would you do? 
would you cower like a dog or would you rip his heart out? He like, Brah! he grabs the wood and he rips the piece out, right? And it's in six inches, he did that with six inches in front of his hand, right? And so that is foresight, right? And that ends up saving Uma Thurman's life later because she knocks herself out of a coffin and she digs herself out of a grave. Amazing movie for all of my people that are watching this, right? But that is exactly what foresight is. It's not knowing what's gonna happen next year. Nobody can predict these things. You can only look at patterns, right? All a person with foresight really needs to understand is what's six inches in front of them, that's it. We had already structured our business and prepared ourselves for COVID-19 the moment that we found out that a case was active in San Antonio, right? A virus is a virus. Bill Gates did a giant TED talk on this, right? That this would be something that would be devastating to our economy. Anybody who watched that TED talk was prepared for what was going to happen. I went and I visited multiple people. There's this attorney that I work with and this other guy out of Dallas, his name's Ty Lassiter and Scott Horn. They helped me raise a quarter million dollar fund to purchase rental property. And within a recession, one thing that always make, uh, that always makes money is rental property. So that quarter million dollar fund was the amount of money that I raised for my business to be able to buy subject twos. Within the time that COVID-19 has started to where we are right now, I have purchased and closed on three subject two properties that I own today. We're making about 1600 on cash flow on just those three properties. We have over half a million, a quarter million, I'm sorry, of secured equity in these deals. Some of them, one of them was seller finance, two of them are subject two. So when you think about this, we shifted our, our business structure because of foresight, because we understood what was about to happen. Now, I'm not going to lie. I'm not necessarily the one with the foresight. My business partner is. I'm an integrator and an implementer. That's what I do. You tell me the numbers, I'll, I'll put them together. You tell me how many calls we got to make to get an X amount of contracts, that's what I'll do, right? So those are the three things. You have, number one, simplicity. Number two, clarity. And number three, simplicity. I'm sorry, number three is uh, foresight, which is very important. If you have those three things and you have your culture built around it with leadership roles in place, everybody on the same page, you can create a monster of a real estate company because we're all one impenetrable phalanx of a unit. And that is the core of my business, the mm -hmm. phalanx. Wow, bro. I love it, man. That's uh, super interesting man the uh the strategies that you just shared and the fade <laughs> yeah, links man i gotta do some more digging on that man because uh i've seen the movie right some badass warriors right there yeah bro. for sure <laughs> q before we wrap up the show man i got a couple last uh couple last questions here for you man okay number one is what is the biggest challenge for you right like overall not just in your business but in your personal life as well What's one thing that you struggle with? I say I struggle with consistency. And uh, I pre again, like I'm, it may sound like I have an amazing business, guys. This is a lot of work. I probably make net the same amount of money that I've made by myself within this company. We just have more security in a company and we do volume. A lot of people that have a misinterpretation when it comes to building a wholesaling team that you make more money because you close more deals. You know, to be honest, we pay out almost 30% in commissions and we only keep 70% and then we have to take care of the overhead, right? So our net comes out to about 50% of what we're able to produce. If I do a million in assignment fees, my net is very close to $500,000 for the year. Not only that, but I pay myself a salary and I put everything else into the company. Consistency in my life is a very, very, uh, very, very true struggle. I'll say it's, it's, it's very present. 
And what I mean by consistency, it's consistent with being a part of the many things that I'm a part of. Uh, the thing about it, I feel like Mel Gibson at the end of uh, Braveheart, when he's getting ripped apart in multiple ways, I had to take time away from my real estate business to be into this podcast. But I promised Ross that I would do it. I'm a man of my word, right? I may not get to it when I need to get to it, but I always get to it. You know what I'm saying? And that could be one of the worst traits that I could have. My advice to you, if you're watching this, would be to study time blocking. Over the last couple of months, I've been doing time blocking in my business. It's helped me out tremendously. There will come a time if you're watching this, whether you're experienced, you're doing millions of dollars of revenue, or you're just starting out of your mom's basement. Guys, time block your schedule so that you can make time for the things that are important. When I get home, I'm, I time block for dinner. I time block for the talks with my wife. I time block to hang out with my son. I time block here at my office to get things like podcasts done. And my time blocks shift from week to week, right? Consistency is what I struggle with. I've gotten a lot better at it in my life, in my personal life and in my business. But guys, time blocking is key. Go to YouTube and look up time blocking. There's tons of how-to videos. It's something that I've been doing, Ross, as busy as I know you are, time block, brother. Do you time block for for video games? I do. I do. I don't. <laughs> I don't. We... It's about an hour of my my evening from eleven to twelve a.m. every night, bro. I love it, bro. What's your game of choice right now? Right now, I'm playing Apex and Street Fighter Five. I'm loving mm. Street Fighter, man. So I okay. play these games competitively. <laughs> Dude, have you ever Have you ever played Dead by Daylight? Yes, that's a really good game, bro. It's a zombie game, right? Yeah, well, a killer, play, killer uh, survival game. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's play it, dude. I'm I've gonna... been, I've been on there, man. I'm, I'm, I'm a high rank, brother. Let's go. Uh, yeah, I've been grinding <laughs> that game, man. Q, I ask every guest uh, the same question on this show. I'd like to extend that question to you, if that's okay with you. Of course, bro. Awesome, anything, man. Dude, in your entire life so far, what has been the absolute best advice that you've ever received? Hmm, dang, that is the hardest thing, bro. The best advice that I've ever received. You know, it's crazy, man, because I've read so many self-help books. And when you really get into the self-help book, like world, and you really like glue yourself into these things, right? You realize that every single story in these self-help books derives from a passage from the Bible. And the best advice that I was ever given, man, was from my friend, Aaron, who told me the story of this guy named Peter. So Peter was one of Jesus Christ's disciples. It's a story. I'm going to shorten it because it's also advice, right? And uh, Peter was the one who was down to ride, bro. And when Jesus was getting taken from the forest, right, when he was getting prosecuted, he was going to go and get uh, crucified, right? Uh, Peter pulled out a dagger and like straight up sliced some dude's ear off and held it down for my boy Jesus Christ, right? So like, like a homeboy was ready to ride, right? And so like, uh, after Jesus was crucified, and he went through the resurrection, Peter had a very awesome connection with Jesus Christ still. And these things are all proven, you know, you can read the case of Jesus or the, the case of Christ. It's a it's an awesome book that depicts the stories of Jesus. You'll know that he was an actual person that lives to so some of these stories. They may be a little glorified. Some of them could be more true than others, right? It's an amazing book for anybody who's trying to find themselves spiritually. I'd highly recommend it, right? So it's called The Case for Christ. Really good book. Anyways, um, there's a story about Peter and he's traveling through these uncharted waters. There's this crazy storm that's happening and um, they're scared. It's Peter and like 15 other guys, bro. They're scared. They have no idea what's going to happen. 
there's giant whales just moving around. There's these crazy things that are happening with the water. The, the boat is moving like crazy, right? So Peter closes his eyes and he prays. He said, Jesus, save me, please save me right now. And then out of nowhere, bro, the, the storm stops. Boom. Everything, the boat tilts itself out. The water stops, the thunder stops, everything stops, right? And in the distance, in the water, walking on the water is Jesus Christ. And he's glowing. He's glowing. Obviously, he descended from heaven for his boy, Peter, because he knows that Peter was down to ride for him, right? <laughs> you know, and Peter was one of the guys at the Last Supper. So, you know, um, Jesus walks up to him and at a distance from the boat, you know, Peter says, can you please save us? We're all scared. And uh, Jesus says, if you come to me, I will make sure that you're okay. And so all of them are looking at each other like, bro, what the fuck is Jesus talking about, man? This is crazy. The guy's all the way out in the water. Like, what are we going to do, right? And so Peter's like, guys, I have faith. Let's get it. You know, Peter hops out of the boat thinking that he's about to swim and he falls on his feet and knees and he realizes that he can walk on water. He's tripping out. He's like, bros, look at this, guys. I'm on water. Like, what's good? You know what I mean? <laughs> of course, this is my depiction of the story. OK. And so Peter starts walking toward Jesus. Jesus has his hands out. Like, you know, I told you, if you come to me, I got you, man. Peter's walking on the water and like he's staring at Jesus. And then for a second, he looks down and he sees these fish traveling underneath them, bro. There's like sharks and stuff. He's scared, right? And out of nowhere, he's like, holy crap, I'm walking on water. Like this is not something humans should be able to do, right? Oh, that's my timer. Hold on. <laughs> I'm gonna end it right here, okay? So like legit, out of nowhere, his feet drop, bro. The water's right here, his feet drop. And he's like, oh crap. This, I thought this was a permanent thing, okay? So like he starts running toward Jesus, bro. Jesus is like 20 feet in front of him. And every single step that he gets closer, deeper, deeper, bro, deeper, deeper, until he's at Jesus's feet. His head is above water. My man, Peter didn't know how to swim, right? So like legit, he's about to drown. His head is already in the water. It's been there for like a few seconds already. He's starting to breathe in the water, right? And then Jesus grabs him, bro, pulls him out of the water looks him in his face by his collar and he says, when I told you not to take your eyes off of me, why didn't you believe me? When I said that you were going to be okay, why didn't you believe me? And guys, of course, he ends up saving everybody in the way that whole story ends. The point is, is that your destiny and it is already predestined. If you don't walk in faith, you will sink to the bottom of the ocean, just like Peter did in this story. All Peter had to do was keep his eyes on the prize, baby. That's all he had to do. And Jesus would have saved him regardless. He lost faith while he was already in the middle of these uncharted waters. He lost faith in his ability to walk on water when Jesus already gave that to him. So everything that you have has already been God given to you. It's been predestined for you that you are to walk in this light. So when I tell you this story, I'm not telling you that you need to fully follow whatever you believe in. I'm saying that you need to have more faith in what you're doing because when God says that he got you, which he says that in the Bible literally says God got you, right? When he says that he got you, you need to believe that he has you regardless of where you're at, whether you're walking on water or you're starting a real estate business, it all is the same thing. It all ends somewhere and it starts with faith. You have to have faith in yourself. If you don't have faith, you'll sink to the end of the, you'll sink to the bottom of the water. Boom. And with that being said, Q, it's a pleasure to have you on the show, my man. Always great chatting up with you. Can't Always wait to uh, see what's next, man. Big things for, sure, man. for the finish out 2020 and going forward, my man. 
We'll Dude, link thanks. everything, all your socials, your groups, and everything is going to be in the show notes for all the listeners out there that want to give you some feedback and show you some love. I appreciate it, my Ross, man. man. Like again, enjoy uh, the I, day, I, brother. Thank you, man. Thank you. God bless, guys. Take care. Take care. All right, all right, my friends, and that wraps up episode 29 of the Started Somewhere podcast. Huge thank you to Q for stopping by, and a huge thank you to you, the listener, for tuning in and supporting the show. Now, if you haven't already, please give us some feedback. It's really simple. It only takes a second. All you have to do is just hit the five stars on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you're watching this, and I'd really, really appreciate it. Subscribe if you haven't already, and I'll see you in the next episode. Take care.